Well, today we are looking at the life of John Calvin. I really like, I'm a fan of history, uh, but I'm also a fan of the future. And I think part of what you have to do to understand the future is to look backwards, right? These are previous chapters of our story. And uh, if you're going to understand the next chapters, you got, and even the chapter you're in, you've got to know the, the previous chapters of the book. And so we, we've got to be able to look at and deal with our history, not just for the sake of history, but to learn and grow from examples. And so today for Reformation Sunday, I like to do a bio sermon a lot on Reformation Sunday. And today we're looking at John Calvin. Now, uh, you've probably heard of John Calvin. You probably in your life have passed a Calvin Presbyterian church or heard of Calvinism. Um, you probably have read... Calvin and Hobbes, right, who is named after John Calvin and a philosopher named Thomas Hobbes. Um, I have a son named Colvin, whose name comes from Calvin. I always have to tell people it's Calvin with an O. But most people have never really heard much about John Calvin. They're the name, but they don't understand how important this figure is. Part of it's because the story of Martin Luther is so cool. Okay, Martin Luther is a really cool, interesting, kind of brash, fiery guy. Calvin's kind of a nerd. Okay, he, he's a student. He writes a lot. Um, but, uh, but Calvin's important. He's really the father of Presbyterian theology and government. And he, he influenced not only the Reformation, but I want to show you how he influenced U.S. government. He influenced capitalism. There's a lot of stuff that you deal with on a daily basis that you have a lot to owe to John Calvin. So, so who was this strange character? Well, in 1517, October 31st, 1517, as Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the wall of the church in Wittenberg, that sort of sparked the Reformation, John Calvin was eight years old. He's in Nyon, France, living with his parents. Now, Calvin's father was uh, a businessman, really worked as kind of a lawyer, and did a lot of his work for the church. Always wanted his son to be a priest. So at the age of 12, he sends his son to a nice school in Paris, like a boarding school. And Calvin studies there. Calvin falls in love with the world of academia. He reads. Remember, this is the Enlightenment, so we now have the printing press. So all of a sudden, all kinds of literature that no one's ever had access to, people have access to now. Calvin becomes what's called a humanist. It's a person that like, wants to read the greats, understand what humans have written over the years. And what's one of the major books that you're suddenly getting to read as a humanist? The Bible. Suddenly you have access to the Bible. So Calvin learns Latin. He learns some Greek. He learns some Hebrew. And he falls in love. Now his dad then had a falling out with the church. Okay? He, got in, he got in a real argument with the church, in fact. So he changed his mind. He wanted his son... To then be a lawyer. Okay? That's a little bit of a difference. Priest, lawyer. Okay? But so Calvin, being a good son, listened to his dad and started studying law. But all the time, he's sort of growing in his thinking. And starts to grow in his faith. At some point, sort of having a sudden conversion. I think Calvin is captured by two really big ideas. One is the idea of the sovereignty of God. Calvin thinks, God is so big. He is so awesome. He's so powerful. He's so other than us. What are you going to do with that God? You have to listen to that God. His will has to be done. He probably looked at a verse like this. Colossians 1. uh, Starting in verse 16. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. What's the key word in that verse? All, right? I just said all like 20 times. Okay, Paul's convinced that all of this world is under God's authority, actually under Jesus' authority. And so, so this is where Calvin, Calvin's just, okay, everything should be under God's authority. Everything should be under God's authority. Calvin writes about stuff like free will because at some point you have to accept Jesus. But he actually has not a lot of room for free will. Like God is so sovereign and he's so powerful. And then he has another view. Uh, another thing that sort of captures him. And that's really the authority of Scripture. He's just reading the Bible, finding all these things out about this sovereign God. And so he, he reads a place like 2 Timothy 3. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Calvin says, okay, there's this big God. And how do we know this big God? Well, the primary way. We can know God a lot of different ways. But the primary way is through Scripture. So these things become like the center of Calvin's views. Now, interestingly enough, if you, if you read Calvin, he also has a real sense of mystery. Because for Calvin, God is so big and powerful. And we are so sinful. How could I ever master God? Right? How could I ever understand everything about God? So he actually has kind of a humility and a, uh, to, to his views of God. Like, like there's mystery. I can't figure God totally out. But, but he's just consumed by this. And as he starts to think about those things, then he also gets wrapped up in this new movement called the Reformation. Okay? The, the, the whole time that he's growing up and learning, Martin Luther's writing stuff and publishing stuff. It's getting translated into French. And Calvin gets to read some of that. The problem for Calvin... He's in France. Okay? And whereas Germany really got on board with the Reformation and sort of threw off the Catholic Church, the king of France was very Catholic. Okay? The king of France was very Catholic. And so any kind of reformed ideas start to become illegal. Reformers are being persecuted. They're being kicked out. As Calvin gets older, he starts teaching in school in, in a college. One of his friends preaches a sermon at the start of a term, basically encouraging the school to get on board with a lot of these reformed ideas. That we shouldn't be following the Catholic Church as it is now. We need to start getting involved in these Protestant ideas. And then when they took a look at the sermon he had written, a lot of people thought it might have been Calvin's handwriting. Okay, So Calvin's really in on this. But, but then he's got a target. Like This was a declarative statement by he and his friend that they were on board with the Reformation, and so they have to get out of Dodge. Okay? And when I say get out of Dodge, they, they actually snuck out in the middle of the night like old-style movies. Like They tied bedsheets together and got down from the second story and snuck out in the middle of the night and had to travel in France under an assumed name. Like they, their life was under threat because of the beliefs that they had. During this time, he writes the first edition of his major book. Um, he, he would rewrite a bunch of times. It's called Calvin's Institutes of Christian Religion. Most of the time now, it's a two-volume. Okay? But, but over his life, he rewrote it a bunch and edited and added to it. His idea for this book was, all, all these Christians have been living under Catholic doctrine for a very long time, and they've never been able to read the Bible for themselves, but now they're not. 
And now they can read the Bible for themselves, and they don't know what they're reading. They don't have any idea. And so Calvin's idea was, we've got to write something that kind of gives them an understanding of what Christianity is all about when they actually start reading the Bible for themselves. And he dedicated the first edition of this to the king of France. Okay? He was trying to get the king of France on board with this. But, but over time, it became really clear he was not going to be able to stay in France. So what Calvin decides to do is go to, uh, go to home field for the Reformation. He decides he's going to go to Germany. He thinks, I'm going to go study. I'm going to go write. I'm going to go make my offering to the world. I'm going to be uh, a, an academic and a writer in Strasbourg, Germany. That's his idea. That's what he's going to go to. But because of a civil war that had broken out, he couldn't get right to Strasbourg. He had to, like, detour. And he detoured to this little town called Geneva. Okay? Geneva in Switzerland. Okay? This night that he accidentally kind of has to go to Geneva to stay one night really does sort of change the Reformation in the world. He gets there, and there's a leader in the town that finds out he's there, has read his stuff. His name is Pharrell. And Pharrell says, hey, you should stay here and help with the Reformation here. Okay? Geneva had been a, a town that had already thrown off Catholic rule. They were officially a Protestant town. But here's the deal. The, the elites of Geneva never wanted to be a Protestant town. What they, all they wanted was the Catholic Church to stop telling them what to do. Okay, really, the wealthy and the elite, they, they could steal, they could have big parties. It was common for, for the wealthy of Geneva to have mistresses, or I don't, what's the male version of a mistress? I don't know. But basically, you had pretty open marriages, you had pretty wild living in Geneva, and they just didn't want the Catholic Church telling them they shouldn't do that. So they got rid of the Catholic Church and became Protestant. And Pharrell said to, to Calvin, you've got to stay here and help us sort of train these people up. And Calvin was like, no, I'm going to Strasbourg. I'm going to study. I'm not going to work. You know, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm going to go and I'm going to study and, and live for my ideas. And in the end, Pharrell started, started actually cursing him, saying, hey, if you don't do this, God is never going to let you have the peace of an academic that you think you're going to have. Okay, you go there and uh, God's going to curse you for not staying and helping. And Calvin is so shook up by this. That he stays in Geneva. Calvin's vision for the city would be one where we didn't have all these loose morals. He envisioned a city of God set apart. But, but remember something. Calvin isn't Swiss. He's French. Okay? He's not wealthy. He's poor. Okay? He's an immigrant. He's a foreigner coming into Geneva. And he's never really accepted there. But he does work hard, and he is a pretty dynamic teacher. And so the church starts to grow there, and he starts to make a difference in the community. But, but the problem is he's also brash and fiery. He gets into a lot of conflicts. And then eventually, 1538, all these come to a head, and Calvin is kicked out of Geneva. Okay? The town just says, no more, you are banished. So what does Calvin do? Well, he goes to Strasbourg, is where he was going in the first place. Okay, he just picks up, this is Calvin, he just picks up right where he was going before. He goes there, decides to start living uh, this life of an academic. But there's a man in, in uh, Strasbourg named Martin Bucer. 
Martin Bucer is this leader of the Reformation there. And he's a guy with a real good pastoral heart. And he goes to Calvin. He said, Calvin, you know, I got all these French people that are having to immigrate here as refugees because they're getting kicked out. We need a French pastor here in Strasbourg. And so it's there that Calvin learns to be a pastor, to really care for people. Not just about ideas, but really care for people. Even more interesting, it's here that Calvin gets married. Calvin had wanted to be a priest for a long time. Okay? And then he was going to be a lawyer. And then when his dad died, he switched back to being a priest. But he, he never really thought marriage was that on the table for him. In fact, this is what Calvin said. He said he, if he was going to look for a wife, this is what he would want. Ready? This only is the beauty which attracts me. Is she chaste? If not too nice or fastidious? If economical? If patient? If there is hope that she shall be interested in my health? Right? Guys, that's what we all look for in a wife, right? We just want to chase nice, fastidious. He sounds like a robot here. Anyway, um, but he does find someone. He, he meets, the, there, there's a widow in Strasbourg named Idolette de Bure. Idolette and her husband had moved to the town uh, to be part of the Reformation. They had two kids. But unfortunately, her husband got sick and died there in Strasbourg. And who do you think was the pastor for the funeral? John Calvin. Now, John Calvin had not been interested in Mary, and he was not interested in Idolette. But it was that Martin Bucer that knew the family very well, who started to suggest and play matchmaker, like, maybe, maybe you all should get together. And so he does. He gets married. He takes on his stepchildren um, as a father and uh, just continues to sort of grow in Strasbourg. Though, though the times aren't always good for him, he, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a plague still breaking out from time to time that took several of his friends. He had several of his friends killed for being a part of the Reformation. In fact, at one point, one of his friends, close friends died of the plague, and this is what he wrote, that he was so utterly unpowered that for many days I was unfit for nothing but to weep. Yet among men, I was almost a non-entity. Have you ever had grief like that? Like unfit to go out and do anything but weep. I'm like a non-entity. It's almost like I'm not living for a while in my grief. Meanwhile in Geneva, things are not going well. Okay, one of the few people that was bringing order to the chaos of Geneva was Calvin, and they kicked him out. So after a little over two years, the city leaders wrote and invited Calvin to come back. And so in 1542, he comes back. Calvin used to preach... Uh, uh, sometimes three times a day. Okay, three times a day. He would lecture a couple times a day sometimes. I mean, the guy just put out a lot of stuff. And at Geneva, they actually had somebody that wrote out his sermons. And so I have in my office a bunch of uh, what's called Calvin's commentaries. They're actually just his sermons that somebody typed as he preached verse by verse through the Bible. So funny. Two and a half years after, two, two and a half years after he leaves Geneva, he comes back and you know what he starts preaching on? The next verse, like he's, he's on verse three, he goes to verse four. He just like keeps going with where he was two years ago. So he, he preached nearly 290 sermons a year for a, for a number of years. All these lectures gave hundreds of lectures. He also wrote, I, I, I've got a set of books in my office. 
uh, letter, tracts and letters. These are things that Calvin wrote to different reformers. He kind of became this leader in the Reformation, particularly after Luther died. And, uh, and so uh, Geneva sort of becomes known as Protestant Rome. Okay? It's the place where if you're in trouble, you want to learn about the Reformation, you go there. At home, Calvin was happy, but things were not always easy there either. She gave birth to a son and at least a couple of daughters, but none of them survived more than a couple of weeks. Uh, number of miscarriages, number of lost children. Calvin never had any children of his own, in fact, but had a number of losses there. He did raise those other two kids, his stepkids, as his own. And then Idolette got ill and died in 1549, uh, leaving Cal- Calvin... Uh, just sad and grieving the loss of his own wife. Calvin was never wealthy. He was actually quite poor most of his life. Lived a lot of his life in conflict. Conflict over the morals of Geneva. Arguing with reformers over communion, theology. Um, and some of those, ended, those conflicts ended up in trials of heresy. If you go to read about John Calvin, one of the things you're going to find is... Uh, he actually testified in a couple of trials of heresy that got people killed, um, got people burned at the stake or beheaded. Um, you know, not a good mark on his legacy, but it was part of the day that he lived in. He had continued conflict with his own congregation one time. I love this. He comes into this. Don't get any ideas. He comes into his congregation it, 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 to preach, and in the pulpit is a letter that says, you and your fellows would do better to shut up. We don't want all these masters. Beware of what I say. you imagine? No ideas, everybody. Okay? There's another time where um, they, had, they had a closed communion system, so you had to, you had to be uh, in good standing with the church to be part of communion. And so a lot of the wealthy were not going to be allowed in because they've got mistresses and all this stuff, Right? And so they basically, the wealthy decided, we're going to arm ourselves and we're going to come to church and we're going to make the pastors give us communion. But word gets out about this. What do you do if you're a pastor and your people are coming armed to take communion from you? A lot of pastors wavered, but not Calvin. Here's what he's reported to have said. These hands you may crush, these arms you may lop off. My life you may take, my blood is yours, you may shed it. But you shall never force me to give holy things to the profane and dishonor the table of the Lord. Okay? Um, they left. Like, they weren't actually up for, you know, lopping off the arms of their pastor, right? In church. That would not work well. So Calvin has, I mean, so you see this, this the conflict, the, uh, the threat of his life that he has, all again while being an outcast, okay? While being a minority, while being a refugee, all this took a toll on his health. Calvin lived with uh, what has to be irritable bowel syndrome, bad lungs. He got very weak, had to really cut down on his preaching schedule. He could only preach like twice a day, right? Because he only ate once a day. Calvin only, because he, uh, he, he figured out if I'm going to have so many stomach issues and so many problems, I might as well just do it once, not do it multiple times a day. Still, he kept working. And in the end, he won over Geneva. Partially because there were so many reformers coming to the city that they all had to get jobs and they all had to stay somewhere. They all had to eat at restaurants, right? So Calvin was very good for the economy of Geneva. 
So in the end, he does become an, a citizen of Geneva, but not till 1559. Not till like the end of his life is he ever accepted as part of Geneva. And then he died May 27th, 1567, wanting to be buried in an unknown grave so that he couldn't be venerated. Calvin's influence is difficult to overstate. He's just so important for so many things. A lot of stuff that Martin Luther got started, Martin Luther never got to finish. You know, so Martin Luther, he he started to think about worship some and did some changes, but but a lot of the early Lutheran liturgy looked a lot like Catholic liturgy. It was Calvin that came along and really developed, and with the people that came to Geneva, a more reformed understanding of worship, a better understanding of the communion table, where where Luther just kind of stuck with a more Catholic understanding of communion, and whereas the Baptists, the, the, the Swiss reformers, wanted to say there was nothing special about communion, Calvin came along and said, yes, there is something special about communion, and it's not in the bread and the juice. It's in the table. And he called it real presence. It's still Presbyterian theology to this day. Calvin also envisioned a new form of government for the church, where you were elected to be an elder. What's the Greek word for elder? Anybody? Presbyterian. Okay. Greek word for elder is Presbyterian. And so uh, he had this idea that we're going to have an elected government to help the church. We're going to have these Presbyterians. Now, Calvin didn't get to do that much with that. But there was another reformer who had fled Scotland. Okay. He was a reformer in Scotland and uh, was basically chased out of town by Queen Mary. You know her as. Bloody Mary, it's not just a drink, it's a real person, okay? Bloody Mary chased the reformers out, and a guy named John Knox came to Geneva trying to get away from all that persecution, studied with Calvin, came back and developed this idea more about Presbyterian elected government policies, okay? Became Scottish Presbyterians. This is our heritage, everybody. Now, there were a bunch of Calvinists, Presbyterians, that also helped form our country. A group of people that followed the teachings of Calvin closely called the Puritans that came over and were really influential in the founding of this country. And then a number of Presbyterians, including a Presbyterian pastor named John Witherspoon, who helped to write a lot of our government. Okay, so you all, we're, we're going to be voting in a couple weeks. Elected officials, they're presbyters. Okay? The actual government that you and I are a part of is based on Presbyterian polity. Okay? The other thing Calvin did, he, Calvin did a lot of great important work on work ethic, on how Christians ought to be working in society. It later became known as the Protestant work ethic. It was the foundation for the principles of capitalism. Capitalistic society owes a lot to John Calvin. I mean, not just, not just the name Presbyterians, but a whole lot of stuff around us comes from the thinking of Calvin and the people that went to Geneva to study with him. Not a perfect guy, brash guy, judgmental of people that he disagreed with, um, but also a man who his whole life is so caught up in the sovereignty of God and the authority of Scripture that, that he wants to do what he can to make this world the way it should be. That's his vision for Geneva. That's his vision for the church. That's his vision for the reformers. I think that's his vision for us too. So may we always be reforming. 
reshaping our hearts, striving after this sovereign God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.